0: So we've been going through a series looking at the book of 1 John. And in this book, last week, we saw that John said that we are not to love the world or anything in the world. Now, when he talked about that, what we said last week, John was not talking about the beautiful things that God has created. He's not talking about the oceans and the mountains. For God created it all and said it was good. He's not talking about people. We are to love and invest in the lives of people. For we read in John 3 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whomsoever loves him and believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we see that we are supposed to love what God has created and to love. People. So what is he talking about when he says, we are not to love the world or anything in the world? Well, what we saw last week is he's talking about demonic or evil ideologies. Every generation has them in their world. Every generation. Satan is the author of deception, the author of lies, Jesus said. And the purpose of these ideologies, the purpose of of these false worldviews is to encourage us to follow them. Because when we follow them, when we embrace them, when we give ourselves to them, then we are drawn away from God, and so are people in the world. And so every generation, the responsibility is for us to be able to discern, to identify that which is not of God in our world, And we are to stand against it and not embrace it. The challenge is we grow up in a world where we are inundated with these ideas, with these philosophies, with these ideologies, with these worldviews. More so than ever for us today, we have television, we have radio, we have the internet, we have all sorts of social media. And so each and every day we are inundated, we are overwhelmed by all of these ideas, and before we know it, we find ourselves embracing them. And we embrace them in our church, and it becomes a part of who we are when it is not, it is not God's design. You don't have to look far to see examples of what can happen. World War II, Germany, the German church embraced Nazism because they were slowly eroded from God's truth so that they embraced this nationality that became a great danger to the world. Friends, we are not called to be children of the world. Our identity is not in this world. Our identity is not even as Americans. Our identity is that we are adopted children of the kingdom of God and we belong to the kingdom of God now and forevermore. That is who we are. And so our number one commitment that we embrace is the word of God. We embrace God himself and we are seeking to live faithfully to that which he has called us to do and that which he has called us to be. This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, we are going to continue on in this theme. And what's going to happen this morning is John is going to talk about how we are children of God and what it means that we live as children of God. Listen to what we read beginning in chapter 2 of 1 John, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we, now we are children of God, and, th- and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, when we talk about hope as it does in the third verse of 1 John 3, remember that hope is not as we understand it as a culture today. Hope today has come to mean wishful thinking. Like I say, I hope that it doesn't rain on Monday. Well, that's just wishful thinking. I have no control over the weather, and he who has control over the weather has not said it's going to rain or not rain on Monday. So it's just wishful thinking. But biblical hope, biblical hope, is hope that is based on the, on the nature, the character, and the promises of Jesus. It's based on who he is, what he has done what he has accomplished for us. And so for us, hope is assurance. Hope is confidence in tomorrow because God has made promises about tomorrow and God is always faithful to everything that he has promised. And so in light of that, here's what I want you to see this morning. Open your heart. If, hope, if your hope indeed is in Jesus, if your hope your assurance, your confidence indeed is in Jesus, then open your heart and your life to the Father's love. Open your heart and your life to the Father's love. Listen to what we read here. It's so beautiful. Verse 1 of chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that indeed is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Think about that. See what great love the Father has lavished, has poured out upon us. That word see in the original Greek language is a command. It's a one-word command. It means behold, stop, and look, pay attention to See, we read that word see and we just keep reading on. But what what John is saying is stop, look, look deeply, meditate upon this, the great love the Father has lavished on you. Have you ever taken time to just step back and to consider the way that God has loved you in your life? Have you ever taken a step back and considered the love that the Father has lavished upon you and upon your life. I think so often we just go through life and we don't take the time to contemplate, to meditate upon the love of God, the nature of God, who he is and what he has done and what he has promised. I took some time this week to think directly and specifically about the love the Father has for me and how I have seen the love of the Father lavished upon me, growing up in an unchurched home and God opening my heart to him and my mind to him, the great love he has given me for the Bible, for the Word of God. I have seen him call my family and my children and my, my brothers and, and my parents and my, my, all of my nieces and nephews into faith in Jesus. I have seen him. I have seen him die for me on the cross as I read the scriptures. The love of the Father for me. God chose me to be his forever child. He adopted me to be his child. That is staggering to me, and probably the most profound of the biblical truths there is for me. I remember when I first became a believer, I was reading the book of Romans, and, it, and I came to understand that God, by his spirit, had chosen me, me, who am I, to be his forever child? I mean, I was a scrawny little guy in high school and junior high, I weighed 80 pounds in the eighth grade. You can see I more than made up for it. And I wasn't the first person that was picked to be on the teams. And this idea that God would choose me, He chose me to be His child. He said, I want you, I want to adopt you to be my child. I want to adopt you to know my love. I want to adopt you to live with me forever. In fact, I'm going to send my spirit into your life that you can know me, that you can walk with me, that you can be encouraged, that you can be comforted, that you can be challenged to become more like Jesus. See what great love the Father has lavished on me. But I think in our world, we have a love problem. I think most of us have a love problem we have a hard time allowing ourselves to be enveloped by love i want to tell you a story about a friend of mine from my last church his name is sergey in that my church that i was at for 21 years it was a church that was very committed to adopting children and many in our church had been adopted uh, some domestic American children, some in the world. and Kevin and Kelly Haley, this wonderful couple and their two girls, they made a decision that they were going to adopt a Russian teenage boy. He just turned thirteen years old. His name was Sergey, and they brought Sergey back to the United States and if you have followed this these stories of these Russian teenage Adoptions, you know, most of them did not end well. These were heavily damaged children. And what happened to Sergei is he had grown up in his young years in a very dysfunctional family where there was a lot of abuse. Sergei had a love problem. He wasn't loved. He was abused. He was beaten. He was sent to a... to. Um, an orphanage in Russia that has been called one of the worst orphanages in the entire country. And Sergei was abused in that orphanage. He, has, he, was, he's mal, he was, came malnourished, and he was so tiny. You wouldn't have guessed he was a 12-year-old. You would have guessed he was much younger. Sergei had a love problem. It was very common to, to children like Sergei It was called attachment disorder. They couldn't attach themselves to their new family because they had been rejected so much in their life. They had been abused so much in their life. Love had never been modeled for them. Love had never been shown to them. And so they couldn't attach themselves to anybody because their wall was so thick and so tall to protect themselves, and that was Sergei. But I love Sergey, and I'll tell you, his mom and dad and sisters served him and loved him. When Sergey turned 18, he took the money he got from his high school graduation and did what many of these kids did. He left, and he went to the streets of Grand Rapids, and he lived on the streets for about a year. His mom and dad said, "Sergey, you gotta make a decision. You can't come back unless you are willing, unless you are willing. To respect us as your parents and to honor us. Well, this doesn't happen very often, but Sergey came home. And Sergey said, I want to be home. I need my dad. I need my mom. And Sergey was a different, a different young man when he came home. I've seen Sergey grow, I've seen Sergey begin to take little risks to love. I've seen Sergey fall in love with Jesus. I've seen the love of the Father be lavished upon this young boy, this young man now. I've seen the impact the love of the Father can make on a life. Sergey still struggles with some things today. But when I left Grand Rapids to come here, I said to Sergey, Sergey, you're my hero. said, I'm your hero. I said, what you have been through, I can't even imagine. And look what you have allowed God to do in your life. See the great love the Father has lavished upon you, and see how it is transforming you and transforming those around you. Friends, I would dare say that all of us have a love problem. We've been rejected in this world. We learn that you're not worthy of being loved until you're worthy of being loved. But God loved me unconditionally. God accepted me as I was. This little knucklehead guy, teenager, who didn't like who he was. And he came and he lavished his love on me and he transformed me. And he's not done yet. Praise God, right, Beth? He's not done yet. Take time this week to see what manner of love the Father has lavished upon you. Some of you have grown up in very difficult homes. Some of you may have been orphans. Some of you uh, may have been like Sergey where your early years were just horrific. God wants to heal all of that. He wants to restore you. He wants to renew you. He wants to heal you. If you have a love problem, come and sit at the feet of the one who loves you more than anybody in this world ever could. Come and sit at the feet of the one who looks at you and says, you are my beloved child. See the great love the Father has lavished upon you. Here's a second thing that I want you to see. The second thing is, if your hope indeed is in Jesus, remain in Jesus. Now, that word remain means to continue in Jesus. It means to live in Jesus. It means to abide in Jesus. In John 15, Jesus gives us this great teaching on what it means to live in him, to remain in him. And so here's what John says to us. He says, and now dear children, loved children, what more could God do than to give the life of his only son? What more could he do to say that he loves you? than to allow his son to take your sin upon himself. What more could he do? And now, dear children, continue in him. Now that word continue means today and continuing in the future. Remain in him, live in him, grow in him, spend time with him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Now. This is a picture that a lot of us probably have a hard time with, but in that day, if you lived in that day, this would totally make sense to you. For Jewish Christians, the idea of the holiness of God, which was much more understood in that day than it is today, and much more respected in that day than it is today. They had grown up with this reality, you could not come face to face with god without being consumed you could not come face to face with god and live and survive it because we are not holy and god is holy you see jesus died so on that cross took our sin upon himself so that when god sees us he sees us in the righteousness of jesus So now he has made us holy, so there's no reason for us to hide. But the idea of standing face-to-face with a holy God, people at the time of John, they had a much better understanding of that than we do. So here's what he says. When Jesus returns, we can stand before him confident and unashamed. Unashamed of what? Of our sin, of our rebellion, of our brokenness, because Jesus died for that. Because Jesus dealt with that in our lives. Friends, think about this. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed. Now, how is it that that happens? When you remain in Jesus, when you grow in Jesus, when his relationship with you becomes a bigger part of your reality and who you are, it heals it restores Jesus is my holy my holy one he is my holy master my holy savior but he's also as he said he calls me his friend he calls me his child he is my abba he is my daddy he is my father in heaven i do not run from him but i come before him in confidence knowing that the price has been paid. And friends, when you understand that in relationship with him, not just intellectually, but you know it in your whole being that he is the God who loves you, that he is safe, that you can come before him, you can can spend time with him, you can come face to face without being afraid, being confident, unashamed. When you come to understand that, it goes from something you know to something you know. And there is great, great power in that because now I know that I don't just live my life, I live my life in Christ. And as Paul said, and this is my goal, more and more, that is, that I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live my life in this world, but it's Christ who lives in and through me. That happens when I remain in Him. That happens when I grow in Him. How do I do that? I do that by being here with you. I do that by reading his word every day. I do that by spending time alone with him in prayer. I do that by by praying with other people and being with other Christians and being encouraged by them. I do it by being part of a small group. I do it by being part of opportunities to learn and grow in the word of God. And the more I do that, the more I am remaining in him, abiding in him, growing in him. See, friends, if Jesus indeed is our hope, we will remain in him. And the third thing that I want you to see is that we will seek to reflect the very character of Jesus. What is the character of Jesus? Love. Real love. Authentic love. Joy. Joy. Joy that's not about my circumstances. Yeah, things are going great, I'm joyful. Things go bad, I'm not joyful. No, it's a joy that permeates my life. I've shared with you that I have a good friend who, well, not a good friend, a friend, who was, um, when he's asked, how are you? Here's his answer. I am fundamentally sound. It's true. Fundamentally, And what really matters for an eternity, I am sound. I'm solid. Now, life might be a little hard today, but I'm fundamentally sound. Love, joy, peace, patience. None of us needs that. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of who Jesus is, the deeper we go, it begins to bubble out of our lives because it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And as I surrender more and more to the God I trust more and more because I experience more and more of His love, more and more of the character of Jesus bubbles out of me. That's amazing. And He talks about two things here. He says, Seek to be righteous. You're a child of God, God knows your name. He knows you. He picked you. You're his child forevermore. And he says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, being righteous in my own strength doesn't make me a Christian because I can't be perfect as Christ is perfect. So why do I do that? I do it out of gratitude for what God has done for me. And it marks me as his child. Ah, there goes Don. He's a child of God. Oh, there goes Lon. He's a child of God. Oh, there goes Beth. She's a child of God. Because we love him. And he loves us. And then we seek to be pure. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And it's that same idea of seeking to be more and more like him. Not to get him to love me. He already loves me. Not to get him to save me. He's already saved me. So why do I do it? I do it because I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for all that he has done. And when you love someone, you want to live in a healthy relationship with them. I grew up with two parents that just loved us, loved their four boys. Now, I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, well, I can see why they love you, but my three brothers, hello. <laughs> Let me just say that took a lot of love. But they loved me. And you know what? I never went off the rails. And it, well, I wasn't even a Christian. I never went off the rails. You know why? Because I wanted to honor my parents because I was so thankful and grateful for them. I was their child. And I wanted to honor them in my life. I am a child of the the God of the universe. He said, that little scrawny knucklehead, and I've always been a little out there. Is that shocking to you? I want him to be my child. I want him to be my child. That is extraordinary to me. Extraordinary. My daughter, uh, one of my daughters, was married uh, for 19 months, and her husband chose someone else. And it was devastating. God has brought a new man into her life who's amazing. And Amy, after all that happened, she, I'm not crazy about tattoos, but she did a tattoo that says, Beloved, right here. Beloved. I'm the beloved child of the living God. He might have rejected me, but I'm God's beloved. He's the one who will never reject me. He's my beloved. Interestingly, The name Amy means beloved. She was struggling with, am I worth being loved? And she turned her face in the right direction, not to find her value in any man, but to find her value in the God who will never leave her, who will never forsake her, whose love is always extraordinary. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the amazing things that you do. Thank you for the way that you love. Thank you for the peace that is ours in Jesus. Thank you for life as you have given it to us. Lord, I pray for us as a congregation that when the world sees us, they would say, there goes children of God. I pray that there would be something dynamically unique about us, not just in how we live, but how we love. That what would become clear to the world is that we're dealing with our love problem and we're learning by living in Jesus what it means to love and to be loved and we say thank you Lord thank you Father for the great love that you have lavished upon us your people your beloved your friends your adopted children. In Jesus' name, amen.